Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. We were pitching to financial advisors and they would say, I have one nutcase greeny tree hugger who's going to be interested in this, but this is not appropriate for my client, my, the rest of my clients. So. Everyone, welcome to episode 54 of Purposely Podcast with John Berry. John is the co-founder of ethical investment company Pathfinder. Along with Paul Brownsey, he set up the firm in 2009. After a decade, they've marked themselves as leaders in responsible investment. You'll learn a lot from this episode. Enjoy. Everyone, welcome to John Berry, co-founder of Pathfinder Asset Management. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. Um, what's the mission and, and purpose? What, are they, what do you guys do and how do you do it? Cool. Well, look, the easiest way to answer the sort of mission that we're on is to explain what I believe personally first. And what I believe is that the way we invest our money has real world impacts. In the same way, we all get it as a consumer, how we spend our dollar um, has, a, has an impact on the world. We all get it how we spend our time, whether it's in our business or given time to charity or mentoring young people, that has a real impact on the world. And what I believe is the way we invest our money has exactly the same impact. And so I should really focus on where we're investing. And so what that translates into as a mission for a fund management business, um, our mission is investing ethically to grow individual wealth and collective well-being. And so there's two parts to that, um, wealth and well-being. The, the first part, wealth, um, you know, we're managing people's KiwiSaver money. We've got funds outside of KiwiSaver. We are managing people's money for retirement. Uh, we're managing endowment funds for charities. We want to make them as much money as we possibly can. So, you know, we're driven by financial purpose of fantastic investment returns, but the well-being part is just as important. And the well-being part is, um, you know, from a personal and a social and environmental and planetary well-being, um, we're trying to generate good outcomes, not just avoid harm, but generate good outcomes through the way we invest. Are we in a time where investing ethically is no longer about low returns? Yeah, that's, that is an excellent question because I would say, you know, over the 10 years we've been doing this, the biggest challenge, the biggest hurdle we've had to overcome is the preconception that if you invest ethically, it will cost you in terms of returns. And I think, I think we're now at a point where people accept you can have both and you absolutely can have both. You know, our, our returns in KiwiSaver are absolutely stellar. And we put that down to um, not just, you know, good investment decisions, but also we're focusing on companies with good environmental and social metrics, and they tend to be more resilient companies. So yes, you can, um, you can have both. And I think, you know, people are waking up to that now as well, which is awesome. And what sort of research do you engage in? So, and, and finding those investments, um, is that easier than it was before? What sort of process do you go through? Yeah, look, is, I suppose it is easy. We've, we've built up a process over 10 years, which involves both um, external data um, and also, you know, our own proprietary um, work. And there are two sides to the way we invest. There's listed, public listed markets. So we're scoring companies on environmental, social and governance metrics, and we're looking at their purpose and we're looking at how they use resources um, for international companies. So we're focusing on maybe 200 companies globally. And then also 
um, in private markets, we've started investing in purposeful companies that we think are also going to generate great financial returns over time. Um, so it's, it's active management. It's very time intensive. Um, but it, um, you know, we believe it will deliver results both um, for wealth and for well-being. sort of the social enterprise approach we've taken with our KiwiSaver. And the thinking there was um, we want to launch a KiwiSaver which will generate awesome returns for investors and at the same time have um, you know, positive impact on communities in New Zealand. And so what, what we've done there um, you know, is think about what problems to start with when you're thinking about social enterprise, you think about what problem you're trying to solve. And for, for Paul and I, um, with our involvement in charities, I've been involved in Men's Health Trust, he's been involved in Arthritis New Zealand, you know, we've firsthand experienced the problem for charities in New Zealand, impactful smaller charities um, of getting funding, consistent long-term passive income streams year after year that you can rely on. And we've been scratching our heads thinking, how could we use financial markets and our skills in financial markets to overcome that problem? So our solution to it is our, is our KiwiSaver. Essentially, we... Um, charge the average fee in the market, and then we give 20% of that to our family of charities. And we've got 17 charities currently that we've partnered with. Everyone who joins us chooses one of those charities, and 20% of the fees they give us or they pay us will go to that charity. So it's it's not a cost to investors. Investors direct where the money goes. It's a cost to our shareholders um, by essentially we're donating 20% of our of our revenue. And the thinking behind that, there's sort of what we like to think of as four steps to, um, to social enterprise. Um, the first is, what is the problem you're trying to solve? You've got to be really clear about the problem um, and define it. And for us, that problem is long-term sustainable passive income streams for impactful charities in New Zealand. And then the next step is, okay, you've, you, you want to solve this problem. Whatever solution you come up with, you have to figure out a way that the solution scales with your business. So it's not just giving a fixed amount a year. It's not just giving a certain amount of hours a week. It's actually something that as your business doubles, the good you're doing doubles as well. And for us, that solution was linking our giving to, to our income and not our profits. Um, so it's a, it's a business grows, we give more. Um, the third part of it is if you come up with a solution and you want to call yourself a social enterprise, you know, we think your solution has to cause you some pain. So for us to give one or 2% of income would have been actually quite easy and you can just put that down in your marketing budget. Um, giving 20% of revenue actually really hurts and that is really painful and it's you know probably our biggest expense line. Um, but that's what we have to do to, to solve the, you know, for helping solve the problem we want to solve. And how we came to 20% was actually back solving by saying we want to have, um, we want to be giving 50,000 a year to each of the charities we support. If a thousand people join us and choose that charity, then um, you know how many, how much revenue do we need to give? And it turned out to be twenty percent. So that was the number, um, quite a scary number, but that's the reality of what we've chosen, and and, and that's our mission. And you know our first charity, um, which is Forest and Bird, is actually getting close to that run rate of fifty thousand a year that they'll be receiving. So that's um, you know amazing for us. We've just given one hundred and twenty thousand to our to our charity family, so it's working, which is yeah. um, which is cool. And then the, the final. The final step of it um, for, for social enterprise thinking is this idea around um, infinite game thinking. So not being transactional, 
in the way that you approach things. So we've taken on board these 17 charities. We don't ask for anything in return. We're not saying you've got to send out so many emails to your client base and you know do all this promotion for us on social media. If they want to, great. If they don't want to, that's great as well. And it's this idea of, you know, I've been a lawyer, I've been a banker, and it's all transactional and it's trying to get value from other people and in, in return for the value you're giving. And it's essentially trying to turn that on its head and just say, we're going to do stuff. It's going to be cool. People are going to like it and they'll get on board with it. And, and there's no conditionality or um, transactional nature to the way we deal with the charities. Taking a, a complete about turn and, and looking at your personal journey. journey. So you and I actually shared uh, the same school, uh, Ross Mini College here in Auckland, New Zealand, which is a single sex uh, Catholic school. Um, you are annoyingly, and people won't be able to appreciate this on audio, but you you look younger than me, but you're actually older than me, and you were, we weren't necessarily, <laughs> necessarily there at the same time. But um, you you transitioned from Ross Mini uh, onto Auckland Uni and did a BCom, is that right? Yeah, that's right, um, Mark. And it's very kind of you to say that I, I look young. I'm I'm not sure that's true, but thank you. Um, yeah, look, I did a BCom LB actually. So I did the keeping options open, did the commerce and law thing. And good experience? Yeah, great experience. Great experience. Mm -hmm. So my, um, you know, my, I, I had a happy, I was very fortunate, I had a happy upbringing, 11 years in Wellington, and then moved to Auckland. And education was important to my parents. They didn't have to push too hard with my brother and I. Um, because we both enjoyed learning, but you know, education was important to mum and dad, and I think that rubbed off on us, um, which was cool. And uh, to be honest, my brother was a bit of a hard act to follow. Like I'm really close to him; he's he's a cool guy, and I'm really proud of what he's achieved. He's a um, software robotics engineer. Um, but if you remember, um, we people listening will remember, you know, years ago when we were at school at Rossmany College, we um, we set school certificate. Um, he and you did five subjects. He was actually top in New Zealand in two of the five subjects. And I was um, I was two years behind him at school, and I was thinking, what, why did you have to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got on him. That no, was awesome. An interesting, interesting school. Just to, to, to deviate for a second, so um, it would be shocked for um, people who are, who are younger generations that um, it was caning and strapping uh, at Ross Mini, and um, there, you know, there was priests teaching us. Um, and but you know, there was some good stuff about the school as well. Yeah. Um, how how did you find yourself in that? kind of culture you know a very religious school and, and used you know catholicism not far away from everything we did good good time at rossmany yeah look I, th I think looking back it was a good time in the sense i, I only um got caned once i'm not sure about you mark but um just the once for me um you know it was strict a lot of discipline rules-based which you know probably worked probably worked for me good learning environment um it's it's different to the education i want for my kids but it's, um, yeah, I came out of it happy and I've, I've got a circle of amazing friends that I still catch up with, um, you know, 30 something years later. Wonderful. And so you, you know, had uh, some interesting, um, really wonderful companies that you worked for uh, in your career uh, before you've uh, co-founding Pathfinder. Um, so you, you uh, spent probably the longest period of time at um, Deutsche Bank in London, is that right? Yeah, you've been doing your research. That's correct. Yeah, it was actually Bankers Trust and, and Deutsche Bank. Um, so Deutsche bought Bankers Trust, but yeah, combined, it was, it was a reasonably long stint. So tracking your kind of career and what you're doing now, clearly what you're doing now has been informed by the past. Um, tell us about what you saw, what you didn't like. Has, has that um, shaped who you are and what you're doing? 
that time with those other companies, corporates? Uh, look, I, I suppose I'll, I'll actually share a story with you, which I don't think I've shared with anyone before, but um, at the very start of my career, um, so coming out of um, law school, before I finished law school, I was offered a job by one of the top law firms. And um, yeah, I was flattered and, and thought this is wonderful, game on. Um, they invited me to a cocktail party and um, the other law clerks that um, were starting employment there. And we're at this cocktail party and one of the partners got us in a circle and he, and he went around and he said, right, everyone can, um, can start by saying um, what school they went to. And I thought, this is weird. And so everyone had to say what school they went to. And he said, right, now everyone can say what their father does for a job. And at that point, I thought, I can't work at this firm. And I actually walked out, rang the HR the next day and resigned. I just said, culturally, it just doesn't work for me when someone's like, it just seems so yeah. wrong. So obvious. So, wrong. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I, I, I moved from there um, and then went offshore, worked in a law firm offshore. Um, and then, it, like you mentioned, sort of um, Deutsche Bank. And I think the what I learned there was um, really complex transactions offshore, really complex financing and investment transactions. And just learned how to think laterally, how to solve problems. Um, you know, some really talented, really gifted um, people we're working with, um, and just the complexity of what we're working on. You know, and bring it all together. I thought I just taught me so much. Which for when we came back to New Zealand and looked at setting up Pathfinder, it just gave us. Um, you know, and Paul was in the same boat as me. We just started with a clean sheet of paper, and everyone we just did things differently. We didn't charge performance fees. We didn't charge a fee plus all the costs of the fund. We just charged one, um, you know, percentage fee. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we did differently to what people were doing in the market. And, you know, I think it was what I've learned offshore was challenge everything, think differently and come up with better solutions. Yeah, I really like that. And so it's more than a decade in the UK, is that right? Yeah, 11 years. So it started out, mm. um, the mission originally was to drive from London to Kathmandu and, that um, oh, I think it ended up about seven or eight months in a van with um, some friends. We, did, we didn't make it. Um, we did, however, get to spend a lot of time in Syria. Um, we spent a lot of time in Syria and Jordan and really interesting part of the world. So this is the early 90s, really, yeah. really interesting part of the world. Um, but, um, yeah, in total, in total, 11 years away. And now in our country, you, you couldn't travel to, so without being yeah. part of an aid convoy, um, sadly. And And arriving back in New Zealand, um, and that was around, was the decision to come home around family? Uh, and, and was that a difficult transition coming back? Um, look, it, yeah, it, it felt like the right time to come back. And um, yes, it was around family. My kids were um, about to start school. And I think if we started school over there, um, that it, it would have been difficult to come back. And I think as well, I think as an individual, I'd got to a point where I knew I needed change. And part of that was, um, you know, I, I, I'd had anxiety issues um, while I was working. And I just knew for my own mental health and for my family, um, I spent, you know, such long hours working through weekends and at nights. Um, it was very, very intense. Um, not the healthiest thing for your family. So coming back mm -hmm. to New Zealand, Gave me personally some headspace and the opportunity to reset, um, but it also gave me the opportunity to be really, really involved in, in my kids. Mm, yeah, which is wonderful. And I think that balance, um, you know, with what we've been through as a globe, as a, as a world in terms of balancing work pressure, home pressure, um, and having some fun in the middle was is super important. Um, 
when you got back to New Zealand and you had a different mindset, um, so you'd, you'd picked up a relationship with Paul in the UK and you both ca- came back with this idea that you're going to start up this asset management company? No, we actually met back in New Zealand. So he worked at Deutsche as well, but we didn't know each other when we were working, both working at Deutsche. Um, we met, I came back to New Zealand. Deutsche were a really good employer to me. And when I came back, um, I just wanted to work part-time or um, have some light duties. And they actually found me a job in Sydney three days a week. So um, not great for my carbon footprint, but I spent a couple of years just going to Sydney a few days a week. And that's when I met Paul. So Pathfinder was something we, we were asked to look at just different business opportunities for Deutsche in New Zealand, and Pathfinder was one of the um, one of the things we looked at. The GFC came along, which at the time looked really inconvenient for uh, well, it was inconvenient for a whole bunch of reasons. It um, you know trashed the global economy and, and um, upended people's lifetime savings. Um, and, and it also meant Deutsche was saying Pathfinder is not going to happen. Um, and we thought, well, this is. Um, this is like all the planets aligning. Um, why don't we leave and, and and just take this up ourselves, which is what we did. Yeah. And where did, in terms of um, brave decision, um, bootstrapped, where did you, how did you, you fund it? And, and what were those early weeks and months like? Um, early weeks and months were, were pretty tough going, actually. Um, so you when you're launching a new business and you draw up your budget and your financial forecasts and, um, you, you, you will probably always tend to be over-optimistic because if you weren't optimistic, you wouldn't be launching, right? Um, and, you know, we weren't meeting the numbers in terms of inflows that we that we had expected. And, you know, it was bootstrap. We didn't pay ourselves for years. Um, you know, and we kept thinking, how are we going to make that ha- this happen? We launched our first ethical fund in 2010, um, which is a global water fund, which is still going. Um, and it's, it's close to a $50 million fund. And it's had... I think it's been going 11 years and it's had 11% returns for 11 years. So it's um, wow, brilliant. You know, it, it's validated the investment thesis. But at the time of launching, when we're saying to people, this is about wet parts of the globe getting wetter and dry parts getting drier and about um, water purification technology and water treatment and um, the, prob- the water problems that the world's going to be faced with. Um, you know, particularly when you mentioned the word climate change back in 2010, people just said, you know, no one's going to invest in this. And they were yeah, that, right. Yeah. And this is it's kind of what I get a sense of. Like, how closed a door were you guys knocking on at the time? And how many eyes were rolling when you're in these pitching situations? So we we typically, if you if you go back to um, 2010, 2011, 2012, typically we were pitching to financial advisors and they would say, I have one nutcase greeny tree hugger who's going to be interested in this but this is not appropriate for my client, my, the rest of my clients. So they give us a small amount of money from one or two clients. And there was one or two financial advisors who we're forever grateful to who supported us and who just said water is, you know, the future in terms of investment theme. It's, um, um, you know, the technology, the infrastructure, it, it, there's going to be money spent on it. It's going to be an opportunity to make money. It's also an opportunity to improve the planet. And, um, you know, there's a real need for this. So there were there was a handful who got it and who, who gave it to all their clients. Um, but that took time. That took time. So it was um, a lot of shoe leather being worn out. It was a lot of, um, um, you know, a lot of knockbacks. But in the end, it, um, it took time, but we got there. And what do you like dealing with rejection? Like, yeah, I can imagine you... you based from home at this point, trying to keep costs low, like did, did, getting a lot of knockbacks, um, dealt, dealt with that okay? 
Yeah, I think, so, I think so. We, we actually started with an office in town and, um, and realized pretty quickly that uh, <laughs> the revenue line wasn't heading in the direction we wanted. So we, we moved to, um, you know, we did move to home and, um, and, and looked at ways of bringing costs out of the business. And on the rejection thing, I suppose when you really believe in something and you want to you want to make it happen and you believe it's going to make it happen, um, the minute you stop believing, I suppose, is the minute you stop and give up. Um, and so rejection, you know, I don't like rejection. I like I don't like conflict. I like working collaboratively with people. Um, rejection's not great, but you know, you're working on something that you believe in. You just want to bring it to life, and to bring it to life. Um, it's going to it's going to involve rejection. There's just no way no way around it. And I, but I'm I'm imagining you, you know you'd uncovered um, some really strong evidence that um, investors uh, couldn't ignore right around what was happening to the environment um, and you know where investment's going to be in ten or twenty years. Uh, uh, were there any particular examples you would counter with that you that are strong that almost remain strong and they kind of um, proved your 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 thesis or your um, hypothesis I think what really proved things for us in terms of the hypothesis for the business itself was um, if you remember back in 2016 how horrified people were when they found they had cluster munitions and nukes and tobacco in their kiwi saver and that I think was a message to us that really once people have that awareness, then they're on board with the message. And, you know, back in 2016, so we were still, you know, battling away at this point. That sort of coincided with um, a, a study I read on the Mariana Trench and the Kermitic Trench, which are the deepest parts of the ocean, which should be absolutely pristine. And just the levels of pollution down there, um, sort of you know, man-made chemical um, traces is unbelievable. And that shocked me so much to, you know, for Paul and I to go, we've just got to throw more at this. We're not giving up on this. We've got to go actually go double down and go harder. And, you know, the conversation at the time was, what should we not invest in? Let's avoid cluster munitions and, and um, gambling, for example. And that's not the question for us. The question is great avoiding harm, but where are you going to invest your money? And the conversation didn't go further at the time, but we that's when we went really hard on going further saying, everyone needs to focus on where their money's actually invested. And, you know, from there, um, we went, you know, built up this um, investment process along environmental and social metrics and um, just pushed boundaries as hard as we could. We wanted to get our KiwiSaver launched. We had this idea for quite a while of our social enterprise KiwiSaver and we just weren't growing fast enough as a business to get it, um, to get it done. So we needed to partner with someone and, in 2019, we brought on board a business called Arvarium, which not many Kiwis have heard of. They manage $30 billion globally, so they're quite a big global business. And what they needed was they, they actually managed that money for very large wealthy families, very wealthy families. Um, and what they've found is the generational change of the generation that has made the money is handing over the reins to the next generation. And the next generation is saying, you may have made that money in fossil fuels, but I now care about the social impact of where our family's money is invested. And Alvarium um, came across us and um, Andrew Williams, one of the founders, moved to New Zealand and we met him and he just said, we need your ethos, we need your investment process, we need to understand the way you do things globally through the Alvarium network. So 
um, they bought a chunk of a chunk of Pathfinder in return. We got capital to get our KiwiSaver launched, and you know, going from there, the the partnership for us with our Varium has just worked brilliantly in terms of um, us being able to build what our what our dream was to build. Yeah, and has a that's a that's a great that you've got that investment and in, in partnership sounds like it's working really well. Um, so the the kind of vision from the very beginning um, has has remained really solid, and, and I think like you say. Um, this you know investing considering you know ethical environmental social uh, factors will just you know will just be the norm moving forward and our, the next generation will demand that um are you a strong believer that um businesses can make a powerful difference in the world like is that a key driver for you yeah look totally totally look i think um business needs to move beyond short-term profit and you know, Milton Friedman has been has had the dominant philosophy on um, shareholder primacy, where companies are just there to make money for shareholders. They pay dividends to shareholders. Shareholders can choose to give that money to charity if they want, if they, or they can spend it, or they can save it. But it's not a company's role to um, have a social conscience. And you know, I firmly believe that we have we have so many problems in the world around um, social problems, inequities. Um, environmental problems, companies have to be part of the solution. Companies are, are innovators in terms of technology, in terms of um, you know, providing wealth for people, but they have to be part of the solution for the world's problems or um, things are just going to get worse and worse for us. And you know, capitalism itself, to survive, it, it, it needs to morph into this idea of conscious capitalism or kind of capitalism, where you're thinking not just about shareholders, but you're thinking about your staff, you're thinking about suppliers, um, consumers, and the environment more broadly. And it, it's about changing focus from a short-term, um, you know, the next quarter's results to a long-term multi-decade approach. So if you, if you, for example, just care about the next three months or 12 months of earnings, you're not going to take account of climate change. You won't care about climate change because that's a multi-decade um, problem. But if you, if you look at your business and you say, I want this business to be here in 100 years, I want this, so this business needs to be financially sustainable, then it must take climate change into account in decisions being made now, because you're going to have to transition to a lower carbon world. And if you don't, your business will be finished. So for me, it's, it's really the key thing is changing the investment horizon from the short term to the long term, and then business will become more purposeful. Wonderful. And as we move towards wrapping up, what is your hope for Pathfinder and, um, and, and what do you see uh, being uh, the, the case in the investment sector in New Zealand in the, in the, in the next 10 years? So? Um, where I see Pathfinder, I think we're going to keep on pushing boundaries in terms of how we invest and our ethical focus. We're going to keep making money for investors, but we're going to keep on pushing the boundaries on what it means to be ethical. Um, part of that will be investing in impactful small private businesses you know we've recently invested in John Kerwin's um, mental health app business Mentimia um, with ACC and that will be you know that will become a global business um, in Southeast Asia we've invested in microfinance for funding uh, women entrepreneurs um, so funding women to get a laptop or a sewing machine which they can generate an income for their family um, so those are small micro loans, but they make a massive difference to communities. 
Um, we've funded two social housing projects um, with community finance here in New Zealand. And we've also invested in a solar project, um, Lodestone in New Zealand. So those are the sort of things we'll be rolling out more of those um, sort of purposeful but financially um, rewarding um, investments. And, you know, for us, I suppose financially, you know, what's going to happen in, in New Zealand in the future, um, in the KiwiSaver space, for example, KiwiSaver is going to keep on growing and growing. And that's, um, from, from my perspective, I look at KiwiSaver at $80 billion, and I think as New Zealanders, we should be thinking about how do we want that $80 billion invested to encourage or discourage corporate behaviour. So we should be using it in a mindful, investing it in a mindful way. Um, you know, ultimately, as a business, I want to end up with 2% of the KiwiSaver market. So in current numbers, that'd be 1.6 billion, um, which is a good chunk of money, but at 1.6 billion, we'd be giving about 3 million a year to the 17 charities, um, which I talked about earlier. Um, so as, as well as generating good returns for investors, we'd also be having a really significant um, benefit for communities in New Zealand. Oh, wonderful, and good luck with that. And really appreciate you joining me on Purposely. Nice one, Mark, enjoy chatting, thank you. listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.